Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross. Um, guys, I don't know if you can tell. It's been a couple weeks, but my voice is sounding a little bit manlier than it usually does. Um, I was recently at an emo night concert, and I, um, I got a little into, a little too much into some dashboard confessional, little all-American rejects, um, some hits from the early 2000s, which... I would say a lot of people left both screaming, dancing, mosh pitting, and of course, uh, weeping. So uh, my voice is a little, uh, a little, little hoarse, a little, uh, I, I, you know, it sounds like I'm going through like a stage of puberty, which I may be. I may be. Uh, but anyway, it's been a couple of weeks, and uh, I'm glad to talk to you. Uh, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, claims have been made that Joe Biden can be a little touchy-feely. That's happened. Um, my March Madness bracket has fallen by the wayside, which is what I get for riding Murray State to the Final Four. Uh, and the complete Mueller report, all 300-plus pages, have been released to the public. Totally unredacted, um, full transparency, he cooperated with, with Congress, with, with the Democratic House. Uh, Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler, uh, they went and had a beer. Of course that didn't happen. Instead, Bill Barr wrote a four-page memo after two days of looking it over and decided that uh, the report said that there was nothing about collusion or there wasn't enough to con conclude that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia and Trump was involved himself. I don't know. We don't even know. And then he decided that, I guess, the he, he said that the Mueller report did say it couldn't conclude one way or another on obstruction because apparently uh, the Mueller report doesn't know how to turn on or look at clips of Trump talking to Lester Holt uh, on NBC. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know anything that's in it. And instead, uh, he's going to decide uh, what Barr is going to decide what Congress gets to see in the report. Like, he's going to get it. And that's the thing. Nadler, to his credit, is calling Barr out and saying, hey, you need to give us a full report, unredacted. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure Bill Barr is just basically, like, writing on a napkin something like, you know, how do you like them apples? Like, that's, that's the only, I mean, he, he truly does not give a shit about any semblance of transparency. And that's why... We have to demand that they be transparent, that we get the report, and uh, we get to, to, to find out. This was two years, folks. This was two years, and it involves the Trump campaign uh, in some ways, potentially, we don't know, colluding with Russia. If they don't have anything to hide, then release the fucking report. It's that easy. Two years. What do, what do, they, have to what do they have to hide? I mean, Trump's going to get, no, nobody, he's not going to get impeached. That's not going to happen. Um, maybe there's stuff around the corner at the end of the day when he's out of office, but maybe that's what he's worried about. Uh, today I'm talking to, you guys are going to love, Fane Lozman, uh, a resident in, in South Florida, a, a small community down there. He had a, a floating home. Uh, they tried to, the local community, the, the, the government there, um, tried to basically take away his floating home and build expensive condos. 
Um, he ended up, not only that, they tried to take away his free speech. He ended up going to the Supreme Court twice and kicking ass. He won 7-2 to two and 8-1 to one in his two decisions. And in 2013, Judge John Roberts called it his favorite case of the year. Pretty awesome. And, I mean, if you, uh, he's got some great stories about, like, local officials, uh, like a, one local official telling, uh, telling him that she wanted to stick her, her foot so far up his ass. Something about reaching internal organs. Not going to lie. It was a little graphic. We get into a lot of fun stuff, though. He talks about the, after his first Supreme Court victory, uh, he's come back home on his floating home and uh, hangs a big banner that's like an FU to the local government who, I guess, got him there. But he's become kind of a, a national figure in a lot of ways. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin from The New Yorker uh, has done a, a piece on him. A lot of folks have, have um, you know, like I said in the interview with him, he's become kind of a symbol, kind of a rock star for the underdog and for average normal people to be able to speak up uh, and, and, and get out there and, um, and fight against uh, corruption, really. And there's a lot of corruption, I guess, down there in, in, in South Florida, including a mayor who likes to create laws about uh, pants sagging down below the waistline. I'm not kidding. That's a real thing. I'm serious. I, I think this mayor really just, he's, he hates plumbers is what it is. He hates plumbers. He hates the plumber's crack. I feel like there's some, there's got to be something in this mayor's past where he was he was somehow uh, like it's it's drilled into his psyche. Like maybe he was he was scarred by it at a young age. You know, he saw somebody had to come and fix you know, the the piping underneath his sink, and he saw a plumber's crack and was like, you know what? One day if I become mayor, that's not gonna be allowed. I'm abolishing the plumber's crack. Anyway, um, <laughs> what else? Um, yeah, check out that interview. Fane is a fascinating guy and just has some really fun stories. He's a fun guy to listen to. And, um, and yeah, and, and the other thing is tomorrow, this is going to be released in the morning on Thursday. Guys, uh, go to trumpisnotabovethelaw.org. It's called trumpisnotabovethelaw.org. And you can see local events in your communities happening Thursday, mostly evening time, um, all around the country. You can find one. You can type in your zip code and see where you can get out and do a protest and put pressure, full court press, baby, March Madness, on the Mueller report and, and make sure that it is released to Congress and to the American people and that it's made public unredacted. It was two years, two years, guys. And uh, we deserve more than Bob Barr's four-page napkin note that he stole from Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. We, we deserve more. We just do. So go to trumpisnotabovethelaw.org. It's a legit website. I promise it's not like one of those GeoCities websites. It's a .org. .orgs are not bullshit. You know, maybe some, t- some, some EDUs are definitely a .biz is bullshit. This is the real deal. Find your event in your community and uh, and get out there and speak up. Hope you enjoy the interview with Fane, and I will be back next week. Sounding, sounding, I can't talk. Sounding, uh, slightly more prepubescent because I think the voice will be will be all healed up by then. Uh, but um, and I I don't look forward to that. I like I like sounding 
more manly than than I really am. That is the, that is the plus side of going and, and, and losing your voice at emo night. And also, I have the sniffles. If you can't tell, you probably thought I was just I have like a cocaine habit. Um, I don't. I swear. I don't. I don't do Adderall. I'm not like the president. You know. Anyway, uh, guys, hope you enjoy the Fane interview. Uh, make sure to, if you can, share this interview, uh, tweet about it, like it, uh, go on iTunes and give me a great review. Remember, no shitty reviews, just the great ones. If you don't have anything positive to say, well, write a four-page memo and don't release it to Congress. Redact, redact your iTunes review. That's what I'm saying. Redact it, okay? Write yourself a four-page memo. Uh, Enjoy the interview, and uh, I'll chat with you guys next week. by Blimpy Subs. If Subway can convince you that two foot-long pieces of bread filled with processed meat is healthy, certainly we can get a little slice of that pie, right? Come on, guys. Blimpy, this podcast may be our last gasp. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, he is a former Marine and financial trader, who's been described as a civic gadfly taking on his local government in South Florida and eventually winning not one, but two cases before the United States Supreme Court. He is the Eli Manning of Supreme Court victories, folks. And no, he is not a lawyer. He is Fane Lozman, and thank you, sir, for being my guest. My pleasure. Uh, you, you have quite a story uh, appearing before the U.S. Supreme Court and winning uh, twice. But I gotta ask: Not a lot of people get to uh, to to try a case before the Supreme Court. Who is your favorite justice? Hmm. Boy, that's tough. Uh, I have to say that if it's more than one of the justices that voted for me. <laughs> the first time it was seven to two. Yeah. So I think we could say the seven justices that voted for me. Uh, those seven are my favorite. In the second case, it was eight one, so those eight are my favorite. And I'll, I'll play it safe like that in case I ever have to go back a third time. <laughs> uh, well, well, how does it feel? And how does it feel to be called a gadfly? I mean, I've interviewed politicians, comedians, musicians, uh, journalists. I've never interviewed somebody described as a gadfly. Like I had to even look that term up to know exactly what it meant. Like it basically, like how does it feel to be the guy who pokes the bear? Well, you know, one of the interesting things is that when I moved from Chicago, I used to work on the trading floors, and when everything went computerized, uh, you know, you could trade the markets on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you didn't have to be on the trading floor because they dried up. So when I came back to South Florida, I was just looking, you know, to enjoy uh, my boats and, you know, a quiet existence, and these battles came to me. Right. And... Uh, you know, started in North Bay Village, Florida, when I uh, bought my floating home in 2003. I got involved with a marina guy who had corrupted some of the local politicians. And the next thing you know, uh, it was, you know, death threats. It was all kind of drama. But ultimately, I, I did my own investigation. I got four of the five elected officials arrested and removed from office in nine months. But that kind of exposed me to how corrupt local politics were in South Florida. And then after Hurricane Wilma, 
destroyed the floating home marine I was at in North Bay Village, I made I went to Riviera Beach, which was the closest marina that would allow floating homes. And Riviera Beach was say eighty miles north of where uh, North Bay Village was located. Right. And when I got there, the corruption was totally out of control. They uh, they were going to take the municipal marina that had been donated for the public use in per, for in perpetuity back in the early 1900s, and they were going to give it to a private developer, along with taking uh, uh, thousands of homes and businesses via eminent domain and giving those also to the private developer for uh, upscale Megayak community. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had just got into the marina. The morning I pulled in, I learned that this was going to happen a few months down the road, and I said, you know, I'm going to fight it out. And that, that led to the drama that still goes on today, and we're talking uh, 13 years later. Yeah, so, so basically the whole, the whole issue that got this whole thing got started – uh, an issue you had with your local marina owner. They were trying to basically get your uh, floating home off of and, and put on some other sort of uh, housing. Is that right? Uh, well, what, they were, what, what they wanted to do in Riviera Beach is that they wanted to empty the marina of the public, mm-hmm. of uh, you know the recreational boaters. They wanted to clean that out, and they were going to give the marina to this private developer and he was going to uh, put in new slips for mega yachts. Mega yachts are yachts, you know, 100, 150, 200, 250 feet long. And the public would not be allowed in there via private marina. And my argument is if you looked at the bequest of the guy who donated it in 1907, he said that, you know, he donated it for the for the public. You know, it was, it was the city marina, the municipal marina. And... They were also going to use the powers of eminent domain to take all these houses and businesses around the marina. And that was based on the uh, Supreme Court had a decision called the Kelo decision, where it said that you could do that. Normally, you would use eminent domain to take private property for a new road or a hospital or school. The Kelo said you could take it for redevelopment purposes. And the Florida legislature did not like that. And they passed the law saying that's not going to be allowed in Florida, and Governor Jeb Bush signed that law into effect on May 11th, 2006. But on May 10th, 2006, the uh, Riviera Beach City Council signed the development agreement to give away the marina and use the eminent domain portion of redevelopment and uh, said, hey, we beat you by a day, Governor. And that's when the real drama started, when I said, nope. I said, you didn't give what's called reasonable notice for the meeting. You didn't give enough notice to the public to attend the meeting. I filed a lawsuit asking the court to have a do-over of the meeting. And the do-over would now take place after the law, uh, the new law was in effect, and that would kill the redevelopment. And that's when the city council met behind closed doors and said they were going to intimidate me and hire a private investigator to follow me around. They were just really livid that their little redevelopment plan uh, was going to by the wayside. Did you ever feel intimidated, and did you ever feel like, hey, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I should just let this one go? Not really, because I had made it had been quite an effort to get up there, to get my floating home up to the marina, and you had hundreds of other uh, recreational boaters, both you know, in in the water and up on uh, dry slips on land. And I said, why should I have to go anywhere? 
I go, I wanted to uphold uh, Newcomb, who had donated the, the marina, you know, for the public. You know, he had a, a patent on something called the Newcomb Room. And uh, I have a U.S. patent myself. And I said, I'm just going to fight it out and, and see where we go. So no, I wasn't intimidated. And they tried to intimidate me. You know, the, you, know you talk about your humorous uh, uh, aspect of this case. They, they, they evicted me. As soon as they had this meeting where they said they were going to intimidate me, they served me with an eviction notice. And they said that I had a dangerous dog. <laughs> listeners probably think I had a pit bull or a Rottweiler or German Shepherd. And, uh, no, I have a 10 pound dachshund named Lady. Oh. A female dachshund, a lovable dog. Yeah. And they said she may bite somebody to put a muzzle on her. She's not going to put a muzzle on a dog before <laughs> she hasn't done anything wrong. Right. And uh, we, we went to trial and uh, we had a jury. And I tried the case myself. One of the problems I had with the lawyers around town, they didn't want to get involved in this because they didn't want to alienate the master developer and all the vendors because there's going to be a lot of legal fees involved in this in this redevelopment project. So I tried it myself. And you could look at the jury looking at us. The jury was like, really? <laughs> you know, he has a dangerous dog. Did the dog bite anybody? Did they call animal control? Right, and right. The dog may bite. Well, a lot of dogs may bite. That doesn't make him a dangerous dog. <laughs> I just, I just imagine, I just imagine you like being like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons and hitting a button and you know, and just going release the hounds, you know, and you just your dachshund like doesn't do anything, you know, like I, I, there's a picture of you I think in one of the articles I read and you're just you're holding Lady and I'm like that is like the sweetest photo ever. Yeah, she was the sweetest dog. She passed away last November, but she was oh. you know, for 13 years we had a really wonderful relationship and. She was the best, and, you know, the, the jury, uh, ultimately the jury ruled in my favor. They said there was no grounds for the eviction. It was just retaliatory based on me fighting uh, this redevelopment plan. And that was one of the only times in Palm Beach County history where, where uh, an individual has stopped a eviction action on a, on a First Amendment retaliatory uh, uh, defense. So uh, the city wasn't happy with that. And ultimately, it killed the redevelopment plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I killed the redevelopment plan. And uh, they came back and went, they mailed me back my rent check. And then they marched into federal court and said I hadn't paid my rent for a month. <laughs> and the federal judge signed what's called a writ of arrest. And the U.S. Marshals came with, you know, their guns drawn and their body armor and a towboat and towed my home. From Riviera Beach all the way down to the Miami River, where it sat. And ten months later, this judge, who's who's just a total jerk, he um, ordered it sold at auction. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Hey, why don't you know before you do that? Why don't we just wait for the appellate process?" And he said, "No." And Riviera Beach went to the auction. The city Riviera Beach Center outside ordered the auction. They outbid the public that attended, purchased my floating home and destroyed it at taxpayers' expense. Jeez. Wow. Along with all my furniture. You didn't... Oh, man. That's... So, that is... That is crazy. Like, what... So, did... How... How did... Then how did it... Okay, so how did it go from, like, you're you're at the local level and everything. Like, how did it eventually get kicked up to the Supreme Court? Well, what happened was I then... Uh, I tried that district court case at the... Uh, you know, in the district courts... And then 
we took it to the Court of Appeals. There's 13 Court of Appeals around the country, and uh, Florida's in the 11th Circuit, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, which is Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. Mm-hmm. And we said, hey, you know, a floating home does not come under federal admiralty law. It's a, it's a state matter, and I'd already won the state eviction case, so it never should have gone to federal court. And the 11th Circuit said, no, uh, three men in a wash tub and Jonah and the whale are a vessel. Anything that floats with a vessel, you lose. <laughs> That's ridiculous, because when you look at, like, California, where you are, yeah. you know, Sausalito has a huge floating home community. Seattle does, Oregon does. In, in the Ninth Circuit, the Ninth uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, um, floating homes come under state law. Mm-hmm. State law controls them, not federal law, because they're not practical means of transportation. You, you build a house, it just happens to float, it goes from a marina, it stays there until it you know, rots away and sinks one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we lost at the appellate court, we said, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't decide if somebody gets screwed over. The Supreme Court looks at the law being interpreted two different ways. And in this case, it was. The, you know, floating homes come under federal law uh, in the east part of the country, but they come under state law in the west part. And we said, hey, you have a split, a circuit split. You need to take this case to decide what should the law be as far as what is a vessel and what is not. And that's why they took the case. I see. And, and maybe the, this may sound like a dumb question, but like, what's the difference between a floating home and a houseboat? Uh, it's not a dumb question. It's a question that, that confused a lot of people. And ultimately, uh, we won the case on that. A houseboat is like an RV, mm-hmm. a recreational vehicle. You know, they drive around, they have propulsion, uh, they have batteries, they have the ability to... Uh, you know, to, 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 to transit around and, and do so with their onboard power and what have you. Mm-hmm. So a houseboat's an RV. A houseboat is a vessel. I see. It drives around. A floating house is like a mobile home in a trailer park. Okay. Okay. You know, a mobile home doesn't drive around. You can, like, drag it or tow it over to the mobile home park, and it just stays there until, you know, a tornado blows away one day. Um that, that, that's what a floating house is, a floating home. You just, you just move it there and it stays there. It's dependent on sure utilities. It doesn't have a generator. It doesn't have engines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not built to, to transit through, uh, uh, you know, through the waterways. It has a flat bottom. It's just basically a house that happens to float. So that's the difference. Just think of an RV and a, uh, a mobile home or a manufactured home you see in a trailer park. I see. I see. And... Okay, so I got to say, when I read that when you came home, you came back to Riviera Beach, and after you won your first Supreme Court, you've got your first Supreme Court victory, and you hung a sign from your floating home that said, uh, Fane Lozman returns, thank you, U.S. Supreme Court. And I got to say, Fane, that is one of, if not the best, real-life fuck yous I've ever seen in my life. Like, that... That was that was right there with the fast food scene from Half Baked, you know, like where he's like, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you." Like that was phenomenal, and I just want to say, like that was that was amazing to me. Well, I appreciate that. What happened was a friend of mine was was ill, and he sold me his floating home. Okay. And uh, I had that down in South Florida, and I towed that up to a property <laughs> that I purchased in Riviera Beach. 
adjacent to Singer Island. There's, a, there's like 150 privately owned submerged lands left in Palm Beach County. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was approached to buy some of them with the idea that I have my private beach and the water in front of it would be all mine and no one could ever arrest my floating home again. That's no right. one could ever screw with me because I would actually own the submerged land. So I, they made me a deal. I bought that property and that's where I took floating home to and I had the banner on there. But there's two banners. Mm-hmm. There's another banner when they went to uh, break ground on the marina. They tried to get the marina away again uh, and make it into an industrial boatyard. And I fought that battle. Oh, wow. And we won that battle. But the council that did that was having a, a, a groundbreaking at the marina, and I rented a, a banner plant. Mm-hmm. And uh, here they have all the news cameras, and everybody's there, and I flew right over their head this banner. It said, Adios, Corrupt Council. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> you know and I, and I talked about you know Lozman wins that I would won my case at the Supreme Court and I said audio's corrupt counsel and the people just that's great they just went crazy with that. so, so it was two bands we had an aerial banner and then we had the banner on the side <laughs> of the floating home when I returned to uh Beach. See, yeah. I feel like I feel like if you try to moon them, then they would somehow get you for indecent exposure, and then that would that would set off a whole new type of you know what I mean. You'd be you'd be talking to uh, you'd be talking to Ginsburg for the third time. Well, which, you know, it, it, it's funny because there was a Riviera Beach has claimed the fame as they are clueless when it comes to what's constitutional or not. Your listeners can go do a Google search for Riviera Beach Time Magazine. Mm-hmm. And back in 2008, Riviera Beach passed an ordinance that it was uh, illegal for young people to walk around with their jeans sagging downward. They showed their underwear. <laughs> passed by, <laughs> passed by the mayor, right? Like the 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 corrupt, yeah, the mayor crazy for, mayor. The mayor pushed for that, and they passed this ordinance, and they actually arrested a number of young people who, uh, you know, I think the, the story in Time Magazine, one guy was showing four inches of his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> walking around and they arrested him and put him in jail for the night That's and the ordinance said $150 fine and when they went to court the next day the judge was incredulous like he wasn't showing any skin yeah. you know he was yeah. just showing his underwear that was you know his pants were saggy that was called the saggy pants law <laughs> and uh, I feel like that is the most Florida thing ever right there I mean that is I, I'm sure that just dominated the Florida Man Reddit page right there. Um, that's crazy. Uh, was, 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 was this, was this, so this mayor, because we were talking before this, was he, like, who was the craziest person? I mean, you've dealt with a lot of different local officials, and it sounds like even just watching some of the clips of you, and we'll get to this, the, the reason why you went to the Supreme Court the second time around in a minute, but, like, who was the craziest person that you ever encountered throughout your, your whole process dealing with, with the local government? Well, the, 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 the council person that had directed the police to arrest me, that was the subject of, of, of court case number two, she would always come up screaming and foaming at the mouth. You know, she came up in one day and said she was going to stick her foot so far up my ass that I would think uh, her toe was my tonsil. And she had all these <laughs> rants as to how she was going to. That is, uh, that is one of the most graphic. Fighting the redevelopment. <laughs> See? As you said, that's one of the most graphic images I've ever pictured in my life. Uh, oh, yeah. There's all kind of images. Another 
another another former council person came over my floating home delirious that she was going to kill me and I would be found dead floating under my floating home. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was the, the anger because what happened, there was so much money in this redevelopment, everybody's going to hold their hand out and, and you know, get a payoff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were all going to become millionaires, you know, as far as when this thing got built, you know, the old pay-to-play in South Florida. And uh, when we killed this deal, they, they, they dreamed of driving their, their new Rolls Royce around town, just went by the wayside, and they just had to take out their anger on somebody, and it was it was me. Yeah, let's get so let's get to this. Like, what happened the second time around? Like, how did you, how, how did the Supreme Court issue happen the second time around? Tell us about the arrest. Right. Well, the um, when they when they signed when Governor Bush signed the law on May 11, 2006, we filed a lawsuit to challenge it. The city council then met behind closed doors, then they were gonna you know punish me and try to intimidate me to try to you know do whatever they could to try to get me to back off on that lawsuit. And uh, once I filed my legal action, uh, some other groups came involved, and they filed legal action on other grounds. The Pacific Legal Foundation filed a lawsuit for some residents, and then the Institute for Justice filed a lawsuit. Now we have three lawsuits going, and Governor Jeb Bush uh, sent the uh, equivalent of the state of Florida FBI, called the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. He sent some investigators down here, and they were snooping around trying to determine what's going on. And the master developers said, hey, this is bad for business. This is in the paper all the time. Uh, we think that uh, we're not going to be able to do this, that uh, that ultimately we would, we would prevail and that the eminent domain uh, component uh, would not survive. And they threw in the towel. November 15, 2006, they threw in the towel, and all the media showed up, all the TV stations, and they wanted to interview me, like, hey, I had this deal to win the battle. Mm-hmm. And I got up there to make some comments, and Wade was livid. That's the lady who wanted to stick her foot up my ass. <laughs> she, I started talking for a few seconds of the video on YouTube, and the next thing she said was to have the police drag me out. She didn't like I was talking about corruption without getting ready to talk about her being a corrupt fool. Mm-hmm. And um, I got arrested and dragged out of the meeting, taken to jail. And, uh, how, how long did you spend in jail? How, how long were you in jail for? Disorderly conduct and resisting arrest, but what's great, there's a video. Yeah. You can go look at it. And uh, they also went video outside when they were escorting me to jail with all the TV cameras that were there to cover them throwing in the towel. The focus of the story that night was the guy who killed the deal goes to jail. It's punishment. is brought to you by We Undies. No, we're not that other company. We Undies is taking the sizzling hot ride sharing concept and applying it to the underpants market. With the We Undies app, you can simply request a pair of boxers, panties, or tidy whities from someone in your area. Then, when you're done, put them right back on the app for someone else to enjoy. We Undies. It's like Uber or Lyft for your naughty bits. Foundation, they saw that video, and their general counsel said, hey, we would like to represent you in a civil rights lawsuit for false arrest. I said, go for it. 
<laughs> and they filed legal action, and uh, that worked its way through the court, so it was dismissed. We filed an appeal. We won the appeal. Uh, my lawyer was fined, uh, my lawyer was accused of filing frivolous claims. I was fined 35 grand for that. I appealed that. We won that appeal. These appeals with the 11th Circuit. My lawyer uh, moved on. I had to try this case for five weeks by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really had won the case, but the judge wasn't going to let that happen. He came up with some new ground that I could have been arrested for, which I wasn't. Ultimately, uh, the jury had to follow his direction and say, yeah, I guess I could have been arrested for that charge. Right. It was just ludicrous. We went to the 11th Circuit, and the appellate judge that uh, had overturned in the Admiralty case, he was on this new panel, and uh, he you know, took his revenge and ruled against me, and then I'm back. What do I do? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the law, and I'm saying uh, the circuit split on retaliatory arrest. Our argument with this was a retaliatory arrest based on uh, my uh, protected activities of filing that lawsuit, and they talked about, you know, intimidating and retaliating against me at that closed-door meeting, and there was a, a circuit split on that. It kind of complicated, basically, out uh, where we are, probable cause is an absolute bar to a First Amendment retaliatory arrest claim, while out in the Ninth Circuit, it is not. Mm-hmm. And we went back to Supreme Court, we filed a, a petition for writ of certiorari, and they, they granted it. And people were, like, blown yeah. away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because statistically, here are the statistics. Yeah. There's... 50,000 district court cases a year, and out of those, you know, say 57,000 are appealed. So the, out of the 450,000 losers, 57,000 are appealed, and then out of that 57,000, maybe 10% uh, get relief up there, so you still have 52,000 losers left, o- left over, mm-hmm. and those 52,000 losers, like uh, seven or 8,000, depending on the year, file an appeal to the Supreme Court say, you know, I got screwed over, but, you know, hear my case, Supreme Court. Out of the seven or 8,000, the first time in the Edmonton case, they took 75, and the second case, they took 63. So it's less than 1% that they take, and then out of that, out of the 75, I think 50 got a reversal one, out of the 63, it was like 45. Wow. So being able to wow. squeeze through that window. Yeah. You know, just to have him take the case and then squeezing it to win it, it's just, the odds are so small. Is it be- and, um, I mean, I, it's I, very, very hard to get to the U.S. Supreme Court and win. I, I read that John Roberts said your, I think it was in 2013, that you were his favorite case of the year. It was like him doing the, the you know, the year-end award ceremony, and he was like, Fane Lozman's case was my favorite of the year. Like, do you think they took you the second time around just because they liked seeing you? I mean, do you think they just wanted to see your face again? <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. I think, you know, one of the things I had going for me is the Stanford Supreme Court Litigation Clinic. Uh, they are very respected at the U.S. Supreme Court. They only bring quality cases. So yeah. right off the bat, when they came back for round two and they were on the brief, you get immediate respect like hey Stanford's putting the name behind this mm-hmm. you know what's going on here 
And then certainly, I could see them saying, hey, we got to see the rematch. You know, what's going on here? We have a legitimate um, circuit split that they had granted certiorari in another case, and they had decided it on other grounds. So it was a question that, you know, needed to be decided. But certainly, I think, as a prior winner and the good time they had the first time around, the first time around, they were incredulous that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit would say, hey, Anything that floats to the boat, including, you know, a table, uh, a coffee cup, you know, whatever. they like, what? Because <laughs> there was, yeah, so there was other precedent in the Supreme Court, you know, in, you know, 100 years ago, like, uh, they had a, you know, a floating wharf boat, uh, they had a floating grain silo, they had other things that floated, they, sur- they said were not vessels, but those, uh, uh, cases would have been decided the other way based on the 11th Circuit precedent. But I don't think the Supreme Court liked that the 11th Circuit blew off uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court precedent on what is a vessel or not. And that's why they had some fun. They really cracked a lot of jokes with the oral argument. Mm-hmm. And you know, Justice Breyer, who wrote the opinion, he asked the other lawyers, says, hey, you know, how about this coffee cup? Is that a vessel that will float? <laughs> and uh, Justice Roberts, or I think it was Justice Kagan, we talked about an inner tube. The guy goes, "No, no, an inner tube, uh, you know, wouldn't be it." And then, and then Justice Kagan, "Yeah, but if you put pennies on an inner tube, it carries things." <laughs> and uh, I, as soon as they said a pool raft, uh, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts said, "What about a, you know a raft?" And yeah. as soon as the guy said a pool raft could be a vessel under federal admiralty law, go, it's over. <laughs> sounds like you, you were. Know, it sounds like you were the Supreme Court's cheat day. Start cracking jokes. They're doing, you know. You, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think it helped being a prior winner. I think it helped having Stanford, and certainly it, there was it was a, it was a great case because they had they had granted the question previously and they had not got around to deciding it. And here it was the same question again. What, what's it what's it like around town like do you go you know like do you know is it i feel like you've got a lot of fans i know you got fans out here my girlfriend we we're talking before we did the interview here is that i mean she is she'll probably at some point try to leave me and find you um because she and and i'm cool with that you know i'm like all right you know like two times he's like i said he's the eli manning of supreme court victories right here but you know i respect that but like you know, like you, I feel like you've got fans not just uh, not just maybe where you are, but just around the country. Like, tell me about that. Like, is it is it weird to be kind of like a, have this cult following? And and also, like, do you ever show up to uh, to city council meetings now? And do they just sort of like you know, fuck, he's back. Well, I, I do I do show up for city council meetings, and um, the. The, the thousands of homeowners whose homes I saved from being taken, the eminent domain, they love me. You know, they yeah. come up and, you know, they see me around town, they come up and give me a hug. And 99.9% of these homeowners were African-American. Mm-hmm. And the mayor, who was African-American, he said, you know, poor people shouldn't live by the water. It's too valuable. Only rich people should live there. So he's going to basically run them out of Riviera Beach to a, to a poor community out by Lake Okeechobee. That was his attitude. Wait, this guy really said that? He... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And is he is he 100%. still mayor? Is this the guy? This yeah. guy's still mayor, right? This is, the mayor be- this is the mayor before the saggy pants mayor. Okay. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and he just said it was too valuable for poor 
poor people be living by the intercoastal? Those, you know, it should be monetized for wealthy people, and we increase the tax base. And I'm like, hey, their yeah. grandparents have built these homes that have been handed down. You're going to take it away and give it to a rich white developer? That's, that's not going to cut it. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of support among the residents in Riviera Beach and the the politicians who you know held their hand out when you get rich they just yeah. they hate me and I've destroyed a lot of their political careers that you know that just adds more fuel to the fire but as far as I do have people around the country who have reached out to me and thanked me and it's, it's given them it's helped motivate them to keep up the fight and my case has helped giving them uh, a good case for their own legal actions they have and I've just had a lot of positive input from all around the country and, and that makes it feel good and the same with the floating home people said i'm sorry your floating home got destroyed but at least now the feds can't come in and take our floating homes i had a lot of support from floating home owners i've had a lot of great support and uh i'm glad i've been able to help people that's cr- yeah that i feel like you you've become a you become a symbol <laughs> i did give i was invited to give a couple lectures uh at the local law school and uh, a couple students came running up to me and wanted to take my picture and go, man, I go, you want to stroke my ego? That's what you want. <laughs> you got groupies, man. <laughs> how was, how was, you were telling yeah. me before this, you were at, um, you were at Burning Man, right? Like, to, like, what kind of guy are you like outside of all of this? Well, I mean, I like adventure. You know, mm. I like adventure. I like, uh, I like things that go fast. I have, you know, I like my motorcycle, I like my speedboats. Uh, I like sculpture. You know, my favorite class at the University of Miami was sculpture. We took sculpture for a year where we used to uh, uh, cast uh, uh, sculptures we would make in aluminum. Uh, it's a pretty cool class. I don't know any class where you could cast sculptures and drink beer at the same time. You had a cool <laughs> professor. <laughs> Everybody got an A, but it was like a wonderful class. And I, I really, you know, I enjoyed sculpture. And then when I heard about a friend of mine went to Burning Man, he goes, hey, you know, public art that you see in front of a courthouse, your post office, that's nothing. Yeah. The, the, the greatest public art in, in, in on earth is at Burning Man. You know, all these Silicon Valley bigwigs go and build these gigantic modernistic sculptures. They put them up for a week or 10 days, and you know, 10 days, and they take them down. But while they're up there, they're just, you got to go see it. Mm-hmm. And besides the sculpture, you got great music, you got people from all over the world it's just an amazing experience and uh and he goes we have a theme camp where we built this uh movable dance floor that's shaped like a turtle and a dragon and we ride around and they have all these crazy cars and there's fire everywhere he said you gotta come i said okay and uh he talked me into it and um i took my uh one wheel which is an electric skateboard and uh, rode around there and I just had a wonderful time. I'm going to go back this August and do it again. That's great. Two more questions for you uh, before we go. Um, If you could have somebody play you in a movie and and sort of do a movie about what you've been through uh, in in going to the Supreme Court twice, who would you have play you in a movie? question and I've been asked that question because I had a number of people approach me to write a screenplay for a movie and people want to write a book mm-hmm. and they've asked me that same that same question I, I really don't have an answer you know like like 
uh, you know, one of the one of the my favorite quotes is, "Life is a mystery to be lived, not mm-hmm. a problem to be solved." Mm-hmm. And whether it's you know Burning Man or who would play me, it, it's a mystery. I don't really know. And I I just think as time goes by, it will it will you know they'll come up with the right person. But certainly, you know, certainly the people that have approached me to uh, you know to get you know to tell the story. Uh, uh, you want to do a reality show, you know, all these different ways of trying to capture what I've been through and, and get it out beyond just the print, uh, the print media. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. If you but do, to answer your question, I, I, I really don't know. I don't, I don't have that. If I you, don't know. I'll leave that to a casting director. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I was going to say, I'd vote for Christian Bale. I just think, uh, yeah, I would take it. I mean, hey. He's got the look. He, you guys have a similar look from what I can tell. Yeah, I, I can handle that. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, you did this to help people out. You know, I, I didn't like the idea that would take, the, you know, the poor residents home. I didn't like the idea that would take the marina. You know, I, I did that to help, to help fight that battle, you know, for, for the residents of Riviera Beach. I fought the floating home battle for other uh, floating homeowners around the country. So I fought these battles, and I won these battles, and I'm glad I was able to save people going through the horror show that I did. And if my story, you know, it's been told you know, pretty widely, but if it can continue to be useful to tell people, to motivate them, that yes, you can fight City Hall. It's a hell of a fight. Yeah. But if you stay determined, you can, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can get support in the community, and you can make a difference. If that story can get out there through uh, other media coverage, um, you know, that's a positive. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Border Wall. I'm going to put all the other walls to shame. Berlin Wall? Thank you. Next. Great Wall of China? Might as well be a long box of tissues. The Wall and the Lord of the Rings movies? There was a wall on those, right? Eh, doesn't matter. Border wall will crush them all. Trust me, it's going to be huge. <laughs> if people want to follow it, if they want to support it, or if they, they just want to, you know, um, find some inspiration, where can they go check you out, um, whether it's, you know, on your website or on uh, social media, anywhere like that? You know, I, I had uh, I've had a lot of supporters who want to do positive things for me. You know, one guy's dad owns a car repair place. He goes, "Hey, anytime you need a car repair, give me a call." <laughs> um, so one guy wanted to, to build a website. I got to build a website. You need a website. You know, please let me build. It's okay. So he designed a website, FaneLozman.com, uh, and that gets updated every so often. Gives an idea as to what's going on. Uh, you know, with, with the, uh, you know, my cases and the media coverage, and it's got contact info. I'm also on uh, Twitter where people can, you know, reach out to me. I get a lot of direct messages. And I've networked some people into uh, uh, lawyers I know that I've met. And, uh, and um, you know, the Seastead people, when they want to build their own little country on an oil platform, they will all, all happy because now their oil platform can't be seized in a federal admiralty action, so they're thrilled. 
mm-hmm. one of the Silicon Valley billionaires that's funding that project. So, I mean, I, there's ways to track me now. You tracked me down. Yeah. Um, Twitter's a good way to, to find me, Facebook, or my website. So if, if people out there think, uh, you know, I can help them out and give them some guidance, uh, you know, reach out to me. My pleasure. Awesome. To help out people that are being are being targeted and retaliated against by local governments for, you know, and just for doing the right thing. So. That's great. And, and they can show up at Burning Man this, this coming year because you'll be back. You'll be back there. Yeah. Burning Man, <laughs> Burning Man is, you know, you're in Northern California. I expect to see you at Burning Man in August. Maybe I'll do that. Fane, you, you've been uh, just amazing to talk to and uh, just a very inspiring story for people who um, want to get involved in local politics and uh, or at least just pay attention to what's going on around them. And if they feel screwed over, fight back. Um, and, uh, and, and Fane's out there if you need some uh, advice or a little motivation. Um, and uh, thanks so much for being my guest. I really appreciate it, Fane. My pleasure. If you guys enjoyed the interview with Fane, uh, please go to iTunes and uh, subscribe to the Justin News Podcast and leave a kind little comment for me. Again, like I said in the beginning, uh, feel free to, uh, if you don't want to leave a kind comment, just redact it. Redact it like Bill Barr. Thanks again for listening, and uh, I will chat with you next week.